You mean people might hear this? They've heard it, mate. Oh, shit. Oh, it's only a career. What do I care? Hello, Brian Mannix. Welcome to Life of Brian dot, 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 Mannix, that is. Good afternoon, good morning and good night, Kevin Hillier. Great to talk to you. Great to talk to anyone. Great to be alive. Just great. (laughs) (laughs) Carefully well thought out, uh, you know, opening address from our leader over here, our, our... I told you I just got out of bed. Um. Yeah, see, see, the problem with you is we can't start a cult up for you because no one's going to drink the cordial. You know what I mean? No. <laughs> no, I don't know what you mean. It makes no sense to me at all. <laughs> they're just not going to. They're just not going to buy it, Brian. How's the okay. life of a rock well. star been? And it's a question I have been wanting to ask you for a number of weeks now, probably even a number mm-hmm. of months. Is yes. with all the COVID stuff and the cancellation of gigs and all that stuff. Do you still feel like a rock star? No, no, no. I feel totally useless. And, you know, I was talking to um, Michelle Laurie. She's got a show about where people talk about mental illness and depression and stuff. Yeah. And surprisingly she wanted to talk to me. And one of the main points I made is that people need to feel that they have a purpose. And if they don't feel that they have a purpose or a meaning, then they get very depressed. And I, my other key point was don't let your mind work just because it wants to. You know, we, we let our mind work too much. Like you go, okay, I'm having a barbecue on Sunday. Great. But then you go, oh, shit, I hope it doesn't rain on Sunday. So then your mind's creating this problem about rain coming on Sunday. It's not going to help. It's going to rain or it's not going to rain. But we do a lot of things. If we don't have our mind busy, our mind finds things to worry about. And then before you know it, you're worrying about a whole heap of shit that doesn't matter. So you try to keep – that's why, you know, I write books sometimes just because I've got nothing to do, so I write. And, you know, I've been, as I said, I've been making a movie with my daughter because for the last 18 months I've had absolutely no purpose, no importance, and I've made bugger all impact on the rest of the world. So oh, I don't know. We've done we've done some uh, some pretty good podcasting. Well, we yeah, have. no, I know exactly. No, know exactly what you mean because you're not working towards the next thing that you're doing in terms of whether it's a gig or whether it's a you know radio show for yeah. me or whatever. And you haven't got you got that planning phase that you do for each of those things because you haven't got that. You do. You turn an afternoon barbecue into a bloody seventy five piece you know orchestra setting. Yes, exactly. Or you just just think about things. To worry about that, you know, you don't need to worry about. But it's like, you know, you don't use your feet all of the time. You know, you sit down, you lie to bed. Well, why do you think you need to use your mind all of the time? You don't. Go watch a movie, turn your mind off, you know, listen to a song, turn your mind off. Your mind is a great thing, but it's also can be your worst enemy. Yeah. No, it's a it's a very valid point, an exceptionally valid point. Pretty deep for this show, yeah, isn't it? It is. Jeez. <laughs> Dot, yeah. dot, dot, uh, yeah, deep deep and meaningful, Brian, that is. Oh, we'll, try to, we'll try to make sure that never happens <laughs> yeah, again. I'm sure yeah. we will. Uh, our two guests in this podcast with thanks to our good friends at Murcott's Driving Excellence. Uh, two beauties and two very different uh, stories. One's, one's an Australian Idol winner from 2007, Natalie Gauchy, mm-hmm. uh, who's a terrific singer. She's got a lovely voice, isn't she? And I really like her song, uh, Pictures of Mars. It's a sort of a bit Amy Winehouse, or as I think I describe it in the show, uh, Connie Francis takes steroids. <laughs> but yeah. <laughs> and Connie Francis. None of our now, viewers know who Connie Francis yeah, is. Exactly. And Connie Francis' estate is going to sue us, but that's, that's beside the point. Uh, so we've got Natalie, and then we've got uh, up front a uh, man who's just released a, a book, uh, which is uh, he's been travelling the world talking about it, uh, or travelling the northern part of the world uh, talking about it. The book's called Unrequited Infatuations, and it's Stevie Van Zandt, who, of course, Known as Miami Steve and Little Steven, and uh, of course he's the uh, E Street Band uh, guitarist for Bristing- Springsteen for so many years. Another superstar on our show, Kev. Well done, well yeah. done to you to get um, to get Natalie and uh, Stevie because um, you know the Sopranos, Bruce Springsteen, and he's got uh, Lily Hammoth as well, and he's got the book. 
you know, this, you don't get much bigger than this, Kev. No, he's pretty big. We're going to talk to him about leaving the E Street Band, about uh, his his influences as a as a guitarist and as an actor, um, and what to do with that. the body in the trunk. <laughs> he would, He's got geez, a few tips on how to get rid of the body in the trunk. For someone who'd never acted before The Sopranos and who literally, and he'll talk about how he got, uh, how, how The Sopranos role came up in the in the interview, he was so good in The Sopranos. And I know you've not watched a lot of it. Uh, but No, but. I, I think it's one of the great shows of all times. And he in it is just, the first, I must admit, the first time I, probably the first, you know, dozen or so episodes I saw, I kept looking at him and seeing Little Stevie from Bruce's band. Uh, yeah, right. And then I never saw him again. Once, once he saw, once you sort of got into the show and got into the part, you never thought about him again as as Little Stevie yeah. from Bruce's band. And which is what you want. And now, and now I see him as you know playing guitar with the band, the the, the thing around the head and yeah. all that stuff, and go, that's. No, it's not the same. He's, no. he's got a body in the trunk, oh, yeah. for sure. <laughs> he got something going on. <laughs> okay. Uh, but we had a terrific uh, chat a wise guy. All right. Yeah, exactly. Uh, so we'll uh, we'll bring that to you shortly. And uh, Natalie Gauchy, after that, I'm going to play that uh, song that Brian talked about, Pictures of Mars, uh, from Natalie, which is available now. An album will follow. Um, I've, got but- a, I've got a similar song, Kev. It's called Pictures of Bras. <laughs> <laughs> oh, why doesn't that cover any great surprise to me? Pictures of Brass by Brian Mannix. <laughs> that could be your next table. That could be a coffee table book. Might be when you just leave in the toilet or something. <laughs> no. <I'm not> sure. <laughs> a toilet table book. A, a toilet table book. book. Have you got a little table in your toilet? No, I actually I don't. I've got a little stool, but I just think it. No, excuse me. It might be good me? to have a table in your toilet, like a... You can have, like, a TV dinner while you're on the toilet. <laughs> <laughs> no, you have a pull-down and have, like, a book. Uh, what have you got, like, a you got a book rack in yours? I'm thinking of putting one in. But, no, you can have, like, a, a like a tray, like, on a plane at your toilet yeah. and you could, you know, you put that down and watch a bit of TV on, oh, your, on your tray geez. or, you know, set up some drinks, make some cocktails while you're on the toilet. Yes, welcome to our new show, Great Inventions That Will Never Get Off The Ground with Brian Mannix. Okay. A tray table so for your toilet. toilet. Everyone needs one of those. Well, I bet you there'd be some potty in the world that would buy one. Oh, yeah, no, I don't have any doubt about that. Uh, one now, to mention, Japan Mercons. has some pretty high-tech high toilets, so they might get... Oh, sorry, Kev, you, you were talking about our good friends at Mercots, I believe. Our good friends at Mercots, uh, advanced driving, and you get to advanced driving and driving excellence by doing your defensive driving and then your advanced driving and then you become... Uh, the driver that you need to be to be on the roads. Uh, so give them a call, one 576 Simple as that. Six people every day in Australia die of a car accident. That's ridiculous. 49 in Victoria alone are injured every day. So makes sense to be as best a driver you can be. And Mercots will help you do that. All right, let's get into oh, our first guest. And their guess. number would be, Kev, 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 just a sec, their number would be one three hundred triple five five seven six. That's their number, yes. Okay, just want to check. I might give them a call later. Mm, I give them a call. had a bit of a crash yesterday. Get them on the uh, on the toilet phone. Okay. <laughs> I'll just put the tray down and we won't yeah, look at it. The tray down <laughs> and the phone comes up. You can have your computer screen there and you could face you could FaceTime them from your uh, from your toilet. Wouldn't that be nice? Why do they have a toilet phone in the toilet at hotels? I have no idea. But you know, you sit there on the bog and you've got a toilet, a phone there, you can ring people. I've never actually even noticed that. Yeah, if you stay at the Hilton or somewhere, they've always got a phone okay. next to your toilet. Well, let's uh, let's get on the uh, the electronic Maybe device. Maybe I can ring up some girls. Say, look, I'm just on the toilet. <laughs> Come on round, baby. Let's get on the electronic advice now here and speak to Stevie Van Zandt about his book, Unrequited Infatuations. I might let you start this off, Kevin. I'll join in later. Hey, man. Hey, Stephen. How you going? Lovely to speak with you. Great. You too, man. You too. It's uh, it's a hell of a book. <laughs> I hope you mean that in a positive way. I mean that in an absolutely positive way. I mean it in a well, the negative about it is that every time, every single time on my little tablet here that I that I read another page, I have another six pages of notes to ask you questions about. <laughs> it's I can't remember which interview I saw where it said that you've lived ten thousand lives, but you have. You've lived an enormous amount of lives, haven't you? Yeah. Yeah, I've been very lucky, really. 
lucky or uh, I mean talent talent gets you a certain and luck gets you a certain part of the journey and then there's things that got to go and fall into place for you too. Yeah, I think you got to be you got to be ready, <laughs> you know, <laughs> um, ready when the opportunity presents itself. But um, you know, sometimes the opportunities are not really obvious, and you just kind of go with it, man. You know, you just like see where destiny is leading you. I mean, we we can pretend we have all this free will, you know, but I, I'm not I'm not sure we I'm not sure we do really. Yeah. You know, we have some. You know, certainly we have some free will, but. Sometimes it just feels like um, there's something else going on. You know, there's just uh, life is just a bit too strange. <laughs> you know, and I talk about some of that destiny stuff in the book. You know, yep. you, just, you, you have to just wonder now and then, you know. When you decide to leave the E Street Band, most people would think you would sort of fly be insane at that stage to walk away from that. Mm. Um, there's, no, there's no regrets about those things with that, um, but for you, but. I mean, when you look back on it now, do you think, why did I do that? Well, of course, of, co- of course you think that. And that's why writing the book was actually quite helpful. Um, you know, because you think back on it and it, it, it does appear to be an act of insanity, without a doubt. And um, when you go back and you really try and live in that moment, you know, and that was the interesting thing about writing the book. You, you, you know, you, you're... I don't really look back on a day-to-day basis. I, I don't really, I'm not, you know, I'm not thinking about the past ever. But um, I really pushed myself to go back and be in that frame of mind and go through your thoughts at that time. And as you do that, you know, you start to see the logic and you start to see, you know, you start to understand a little bit better mm. that um, while it was, you know, and ob- obviously on the surface, an act of insanity. Um, I, 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 I measured, you know, in great detail, the pros and cons of what happened. You know, I, I, I talked about everything I've done since I left has been almost everything I've ever done, you know? So you, you wonder what would have gotten done had I stayed. Yeah. I would have been, you know, set for life financially. And that's a, you know, that's a big, that's a factor. But um, but in terms of the uh, work and things I've been involved with, you know, would I have become an artist in my 30s and done those solo albums? Probably not. Would I have done Sopranos? Probably not. Lilyhammer? You know, would I have busted Mandela out of jail? You know, you know, all of those, you know, they add up. They start to add up, like, the things that wouldn't have happened had I stayed. So... Mm-hmm. You know, you end up feeling better about it. You know, you, you, you're, ne- you're never going to stop wishing you could have done both. You know, I, I, I wish I could have done both. But um, realistically, uh, you probably couldn't have. Yeah. Uh, my uh, co-host on this show, Brian, is the darky figure you can see on your screen at the bottom there. I don't know what he's done to his lighting, but he's uh, he, he's looking like he's um, just about to... Yeah. I apologise. I was just making love to um, a couple of girls and and a few guys, I think, too. I'm not sure, but so sorry <laughs> I was late. Steve, wonderful to talk to you. Um, okay. I'm sure Kevin's asked you um, a lot of the key questions, but as a musician, um, who did you admire as a guitarist and what made you pick up the guitar and who are the guitarists that you admire the most? Like who do you, who influenced you? Well, at first it was the the early British invasion guys. You know, it was it was it was George Harrison and and Keith Richards. You know, um, first of all, you know, then um, you you started to get into the other ones. You know, the Hilton Valentine from the Animals and Dave Davis. You know, Dave Davis from from the Kinks, and um, of course Pete Townsend with the Who. Um, and and then in the, you know, then you started to focus a little bit more on as the, as the lead guitar started to uh, change, you know you started to be, be more focused on that as the lead guitar style changed from the Chuck Berry style of Keith Richards and yeah. the rockabilly style of George Harrison, you know started to move into you know Eric Clapton um, playing you know more the blues guys. 
Yeah. And of course, um, followed by, you know, Jeff Beck, who, who became one of my favorite guys. So it was, it was all of that, you know, as you, as you evolved your, yourself as a musician, you know, you, 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 you're starting to learn your craft. And, um, and I talk about the five crafts of rock and roll in great detail, but that is the first craft. The first craft is your instrument. So we'll start off with, you know, George and Keith, you know, eventually got yeah. to, you know, Eric, Eric and Jeff, you know. As an actor, I'll ask you the same question about, like, you know, I, I get the impression that acting was just something that kind of happened to you. And um, and you're fantastic. But as an actor, who do you admire as an actor? Like you know, it- mm. so many. You know, I I, um, I really love James Cagney. You know, I think Jimmy yeah. Cagney probably my favorite. Marlon Brando, um, obviously. You know, I love Robert Montgomery. I love Lee yeah. Marvin. You know, you know Bogart. You like the tough guys. Uh, you know, yeah, yeah. yeah. I tend to nice. like the, uh, the tough guys. <laughs> yeah. you, well. you, actually, you actually developed that character that became the Sopranos character, didn't you, in a, in a previous kind of incarnation of, of what it was going to be in a, in a big Vegas kind of mob run um, nightclub rather than the strip club that Badabing became. That's right. Uh, I, I, when, I, when I suggested it to Dave, you know, David Chase, you know, we we went through the early stages of of he wanted to cast me as Tony Soprano, HBO wouldn't let him. I then said, you know, I feel guilty taking an actor's job. He said, okay, let me write you in a part then that doesn't exist. And he and he and he said, what would you like to do? And I said, well, I, I do have this treatment at the time. It's a it's a full screenplay now, but um, the treatment that um, this guy, this independent hitman, Silvio Dante. Had a Copacabana type of club, um, old school, you know, like fifties. And um, although it was set in present day, he lived in the past a little bit. That's why he looked—he looked a little bit more fifties. He romanticized that era as you know the golden era of the mob. And um, you know, it was really like uh, the five families had their own tables in the club and all that, and uh, kind of like a, a mob version of Casablanca, really. Mm. And in the end, yeah, they, they couldn't afford the HBO said we can't afford it. So so David said, let's just make it a strip club. You know, and then the Bada Bing was born. Yeah. <laughs> and when you worked in Vegas on the on the kind of tail end of of the mob running mm. Vegas, didn't you? Yeah, I was so glad I saw that before it changed into Disneyland. You know. Um, it was a very, very different town when the mob ran it. And uh, much, much more fun. Much, much cheaper. Uh, in those days, the only concept was make money from the gambling, period. I mean, the, the, the food buffets were ridiculous. You know, 275, you know, all you can eat. And I mean, lobster and steak. And I mean, <laughs> you know, the, the, the hotel rooms were nothing, 20, 20 bucks, 25 bucks. Um, uh, the shows, I mean, the, the lounge show, you, you, you go in and... Uh, uh, you know, for six dollars or something, you know, you, you'd have a lounge show, and then Frank Sinatra might walk in. You know, you know. So, so the whole concept at that point was strictly make money from gambling, and and with the mob probably skimming, God knows what, you know, twenty five or percent or a third off the top. That everybody still got rich. <laughs> you know. Just to show you, you know, and then the corporations move in and they want to make money from everything. You got to make money now from food. You got to make money from entertainment. You got to make money, you know. Um, And um, they started building in between the casinos. Um, I mean, when I was there, there was a lot of space in between. You you, you know, we played the Flamingo and the the next closest one was Caesars, which was, uh, I don't know, you know, probably... uh, five football fields away diagonally nothing across the street nothing next to it you know now you know you you can walk the whole strip rooftop to rooftop uh Mm. it's all you know yeah so it's a very very different vibe and and uh i'm glad i'm glad i got a chance to see it and you played with the some interesting people 
in Vegas too, didn't you? Yeah, yeah. And I, I was having a wonderful year that year, just meeting all the pioneers uh, who had all been put out to pasture. But part of that oldies circuit, they called it the oldies circuit, was Vegas. And um, as well as the arenas, it's the first time I played Madison Square Garden was uh, one of those Richard Nader oldies shows. He'd have like 10, 12, 15 acts, you know. Yeah, Vegas, uh, we opened for, uh, I was with the Dovells, who had a couple of phenomenal records in in the early 60s. You Can't Sit Down and Bristol Stomp. Um, And we opened for uh, Four Seasons. Mm. Uh, That's where I first met Frankie Mm. Valley, who, um, you know, would later be on Sopranos with me. uh, open for Fats Domino, who uh, I talk about his gambling debts. You know, yeah. he had huge gambling debts. He's playing Vegas all the time, <laughs> trying to uh, pay off the debts and probably getting in more debt. Um, who else? And, and Dion. Dion, who I became a lifelong friend. Um, and, the, and the Dion story goes to a session that you took Bruce to um, with, uh, with Dion uh, being produced by Phil Spector. Yeah, yeah. Again, I was very, very glad to catch one of those. You know, similar to the to the Vegas experience in that in that way of catching something from an era that was about to go away. Yeah, um, that was one of the last of the classic Phil Spector sessions. Um, so I was very, very, you know, very glad to have experienced that. I hear, um, Steve, that Phil Spector, when he was um, recording John Lennon's rock and roll album, that at one point he pulled the gun out and shot through the roof. So did Phil bring the gun to the session or it was all? Yeah. Oh, no, I talk about it in great detail. And, yeah, yeah, he had the gun. He's waving wow. it around. He, 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 didn't, he didn't fire it that particular session, <laughs> but he was waving it around, yeah. Wow. Uh, I want to ask you about Bruce and your relationship with Bruce because um, I know we've only got limited time with you and it would be wrong not to ask you about that relationship. It's it stood the test of time from from day dot right through till now. Yeah, I think we, we, we bonded at a time when we really needed each other because um, there wasn't that many people who really felt like rock and roll was everything. Um, you know, it was kind of a new idea still. You know, it was rock and roll itself was only 15 years old at that point. And uh, it wasn't a business until the 70s. So in the 60s, you were really kind of a freak, you know, if you're playing rock and roll and, uh, and in a band. And um, we bonded, you know, on that basis of us both being extremely um, obsessed Really is the only word I can think of. Obsessed with, with, with rock and roll as a as our as a lifestyle and as a possible, you know, as a possible uh, uh, career. You know, uh, we were we were we were fairly unique that way. Were there times when the business almost screwed the friendship? Um. Well, I don't know. I wouldn't. I don't know. We, we we've had. Three big fights, which I talk about in the book, mm. and um, we, re- we we you know, reconcile rather quickly. You know, we don't we don't we don't leave it out there too long. Um, so I don't think anything anything ever ever challenged the friendship in a permanent way. You know, you know, there's been a couple of challenges along the way, but uh, nothing that we couldn't overcome. Yeah, your Australian connection. Jimmy Barnes recorded one of your songs, and you've. You've jammed with Jimmy Barnes a couple of times at different uh, different venues and played some of his family and stuff. So you got a bit of an Aussie connection going on there. I love Jimmy. I love uh, I, I love I love uh, I love I love his daughter. Uh, you know, another enormously talented woman. And, and uh, yeah, I, I love Peter Garrett and Midnight Oil. I mean, you know, we have some real you know so many uh, so many Australian bands we played through the years. Uh, uh, Dom Mariani, you know, uh, from the uh, from the West Coast, from Perth, you know, he's got diff- three, you know, three or four different bands we've played through the years, um, and and many others. You know, Australia, it's, it's a very, it's a rock and roll country, man. You know, it really is. Uh, yeah. 
and, and I love it. I love it. I mean, I don't, I don't, I don't know how you ended up with such a weird government, but that's another story. Um, <laughs> you know, the, the government doesn't seem to reflect anybody I've ever met in Australia. But um, hopefully, hopefully, you can fix that. So uh, yeah, this book well, is this book is brilliant. Uh, it, it, whatever didn't make it into the book is that ever going to make it into another book? Well, probably not. I mean, uh, and, and a lot was a lot was taken out, but but no, nothing important. I, I try to jam all the important stuff in there that did make you know that kept kept a coherent story moving forward, and um, you know had a great editor in Ben Greenman to do that. Uh, but no, I mean, it was mostly the jerks that I took out. You know, I, I, I left a couple of them in just for spice. But um, you know, I took a, I took three quarters of the the real jerks out, and uh, many of the things I I, I had done um, that didn't really move this, the 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 story forward. So you know, there's, so, there's, there's plenty in there. So yeah. that, that that's the thing. So Steve, when the book gets turned into a movie. Who plays you? <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. Maybe uh, maybe Johnny Depp can play the older me, but I don't know. Johnny Depp, yeah. yeah I don't know who plays the younger me. <laughs> oh, well, it's something to ponder. But, um, yeah, I can't wait to see the movie. I um, Halfway through the book, and it's fantastic. Well yeah, done. It's, on it's really good. Spectacular it's really good. career. Yeah. Thank you, my friend. Thank Some you very much. Amazing stories. Loved, loved the music. Loved the acting. Loved the, uh, uh, loved the, the thought process and the, and the, and the heart that you show in a lot of the things that you do in terms that, that have nothing to do with the music industry. Yeah, yeah. How's the dog? Didn't you walk the dog for seven years? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, the, I mean, the first half of the book is a music book, but but then it turns into something else, and I yeah. think it's gonna yeah. be it's gonna be more universal. I think. People will like it whether they whether they're into music or whether they're a musician or not. It's so. about the human experience in a musical and Hollywood background. Yeah, and, and, and a general search for identity and a search for purpose and a search for spiritual enlightenment, you know, which I think is a bit more universal than yeah. uh, any one particular career. Yeah. Well, I think in COVID we're all searching for purpose and meaningfulness with our life. Mm, so well done. Congratulations. Thank, Thank you, Stephen. Really appreciate right, your Harry. time, man. Thank you so much. Cheers.
All right, that's uh, Stevie Van Zandt. The book, as uh, we mentioned, is called Unrequited Infatuations. Uh, buy it online uh, or go to your local bookshop and uh, get them to get a copy. And uh, it really is a terrific read. There's a lot of good stuff and a lot of music. So as he said, the first half is kind of a music book and the second half it goes into a whole stack of other things. So have a read. Uh, you'll love it. Uh, you'll find yourself uh, flipping the pages really quickly. It's a really good book. Yeah, I, I stole a copy from Dimmix the other day and I haven't been able to put it down. It's <laughs> fantastic. Uh, yeah. Now, uh, with thanks to Murcotts, so one three hundred five 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 seven six. Uh, we're now going to talk to a lady who uh, is going to, she's going to tell us her story. Her name is Natalie Gacci. She has a, a new song out called Pictures of Mars. Uh, As so, opposed to my one, Pictures of Brass. Thank you. Uh, yes. And we're going to let her tell her story now. Now? Yeah, now. Or, okay. Hang on, wait, wait. Now. Definitely been a process. It started all back in 2007 when I won Australian Idol. Yep. And then I wrote the song that day. And then I, because I moved to London a couple of years after I won Australian Idol, about three years after. And then I was looking to, I asked all my fans, like, what songs I should put on my album. And Pictures of Mars was one of them. Then it wasn't till 2017 that I got the courage to actually, you know, produce my own music. And um, so I just, yeah, started learning Logic Pro on my laptop. Oh, and <laughs> and I produced it myself wow. and wrote it and arranged it and everything. Yeah. And then I got the courage wow, that, to, to release it. Well done. Because uh, I think as a female artist, like I can just speak for myself, but I'm always looking at other producers to help me get my music out there. And, of course, it helps to collaborate. But there was something inside of me that was saying, just go for it. And one of the male producers I was working with at the time, when he heard it, he said, nah, this is just as good as what I can do. He's like, just get it out there. <laughs> so, yeah, that's how it came about. Well, well done because that was going to be my first question as to who produced it because mm-hmm. it's a really cool-sounding uh, record and it's a great song, but the record sort of sounds to me like, sort of early 60s in style, but sort of really modern as well. It's sort of like Connie Francis on steroids like that. Is that, <laughs> was that what you were looking for or something? It's a really cool um, record. What was, your, what was your motivation? or? When I Thank you. That's a really nice compliment, actually, because I wanted it to be a classic-sounding record. Um, but with yeah. Logic Pro, I was like, how am I going to do that? Because it's all electronic. So... What I did is I partnered with um, Simon Morrow in Melbourne and he put it through this really cool tape. So, like, if you heard it before, he put it through the tape. It sounded a bit digital. But then after he mixed it and he put it through those tapes, they're like 1960s, 70s tapes. So that's how we got that sound. Yeah, it's yeah. A really, really, it's a really cool sound, and you know, I think it's, I think it should do really well because it's Thank just, you. You know, it's, it's sort of yeah. unique. It sort of sounds. It doesn't sound like everybody else, which is great. It's the most authentic thing I've ever done and ever like put out there. So, and for me, that that's you know, coming from Australian Idol and you know, having been expected to do pop music and and dance music and things like that. I just thought, you know, I'm just going to do what I do in my basement at home and <laughs> just release yeah. it and, and see what happens. So I'm really happy that you like it. It's yeah, almost it's like great. like the equivalent of wearing your pyjamas outside or something, you know, because it comes so naturally to me. <laughs> hey, uh, Annette, we've been doing that for two years in Melbourne because we've been in lockdown. <laughs> well, there you go. Yeah. So you just do what you've got to do, hey? Hey, I want to ask you one question, just based on Brian's question. Do you know who Connie Francis is? I have no idea. (laughs) (laughs) I'm like going to have to go and Google him. Okay. Google her. Oh, who's it a her? Okay, there you go. I have no idea. She was a a singer in the early 60s, I think. Yeah, Yeah, right. Very successful. Oh, yeah. But, um, okay. Yes. Well, I'm so definitely going to have to do writing, some research about that. That's okay. You're writing new stuff and you, you plan to produce your future stuff yourself? Yeah, well, actually, I'm actually writing books at the moment. Oh, how about you? What sort of books yeah, are you writing? 
I've just written a self-help book called How to Get Out of a Broken Relationship. Okay. I've realized after writing the book that a lot of the songs that I've been writing over the past two to three years have got to do with that. And actually, you know, I feel like like a lot of people at the moment are going through broken relationships, like whether it's, you know, just because of the lockdown stuff and everything that's happening in the world right now is that we're, you know, questioning things and rediscovering who we really are deep down. And um, so that's what I write about. Like my music's all about healing, like, you know, finding our truth and, you know, releasing emotions and uh, speaking out when we need to. And part of my book is about actually building a relationship with God and finding a spiritual side to ourselves. Yeah, fair enough. Um, yeah. God's got some pretty handy rules, I reckon, that um, <laughs> if you follow his rules, you sort of have a pretty happy life, I reckon. You know, I, haven't, I don't kill people, I don't steal from them, and I try to treat <laughs> them as I'd like to be treated, and everything seems to work out pretty well. Well, that's good. Yeah. No, that's good. So the book, where, where can we get the book if we want to get a copy of the book? Um, that's not released yet. I've actually just signed with a publisher. So we're looking at a couple of months down the track. We're just in the process of getting it out there now. I actually, what I did last year is I just put out four albums without promoting them on Spotify. Um, I put out one called Electric Field, um, another one called Happiness and another one called Ha Ha Ha. And then now this one's coming out and it's like, I just thought, you know, if I died tomorrow, what would I want to have out there that people can go back and listen to? So yeah. I just thought, I'm just going to put them all out there. Because as an artist, you know, it takes time to find a label, promote it, yeah. get it out there. And I just thought I'll save pictures of Mars and do that one. And then the other three I'll just put out there and then people can just discover it in their own time. And, and then when the book comes out, it'll all make sense, you know, because I've, I've been through a hell of a journey in my life and, you know, I've just started to come out now to share that with people and Pictures of Mars is that, like, introduction to that. So you'll be seeing and hearing a lot more. <laughs> hey, Ned, can I ask you, you won Idol in 2007 and that opens a door for you. That, 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 that allows you, you know, people to know that you are an artist and you're out there and you're, you're doing stuff. If, yeah. you, if you won Idol now, like tomorrow... Would your would the door that it opened be a different door for you now and would you choose to do it differently than you did it or were, were the way it sort of panned out for you in 2007? Wow, that's a really deep question. Um, you know what? I went on The Voice in 2020 and I know it's not Australian Idol but it was still like, you know, a similar kind of – it's a reality TV show, right? Yep, yep. It was just like going into a different world. Like it wasn't even like Australian Idol at all. And I was expecting it to be kind of innocent and fun. And, um, but it really wasn't. It was just like going in to do a gig. I was just kind of like a number or a role in the show. And I didn't really, I, I was going in with the same mentality that I did on Australian Idol and it didn't work. So I reckon yeah. times have changed and you just can't, like, ever get Australian Idol back. Like, even if – I think I know Channel 7's just bought it out. And I don't know. I just don't think it's ever going to be the same. Like, it yeah. was a moment in time. It was just a moment in time. And it was an opportunity for me. And um, I don't think I can ever get that back. Yeah. <laughs> I can only just learn from it and do my own thing now, you know. Natalie, I've got to ask you about um, the video clip. You got David Bowie's spacesuit. How did you get David Bowie's spacesuit? This is a good question. Um, okay, where do I start? So I was in London when I came up with the idea for the video with one of my friends, Mark Watson, and he's like this independent filmmaker and we were just having a bit of fun, having a chat about the song and, and I said to him, you know, and it wasn't even properly produced yet. I just kind of had the framework done and, but um, we managed to get some footage and um, I didn't have any money at the time, like nothing. So I'm thinking, how am I going to record this uh, video uh, how I want it? And I imagined myself in a spacesuit kind of like coming from Mars onto Earth and then shopping in a supermarket to get my groceries. 
And it was like we had literally three days till we had the studio to film. And I thought, oh, maybe I'll just look online and see if I can hire a spacesuit. And we'll just walk around London town and walk into the shops and Mark can just film me. So anyway, I ended up searching and I couldn't find anything. And then just randomly at the last minute, I got an email from one of the suit, one of the hiring places. And they said, oh, the only one we have left is the one that David Bowie wore for Black Star. Is this one okay? And I was like, yeah, I'll take that one. <laughs> wow. And so, yeah, that's how that happened. And literally, it got delivered to the doorstep just like an hour before we started filming. And um, I prepared I prepared it so that I could sew on um, Australian flag instead of an American one on there. Yeah, and made it a bit more Aussie, which was a bit of fun. Yeah, no, it was great. It's um, it's really good. I just wonder, did did David have it dry clean before he sent it oh. off to you? Or? <laughs> <laughs> well, I don't think he owned it, but um, I'm definitely sure that it was. Actually, it wasn't that clean, but it wasn't smelly. <laughs> okay. Well, it's good to know that David wasn't smelly. That's uh, an important piece of information. I felt like I felt like it was like an omen, a good omen, yeah. and the fact that. I've written this song, Pictures of Mars, and he has life on Mars, and then I got the suit. I thought there's some, like, spiritual connection going on here because that was the same year that he passed away as well. Wow. Okay. Yeah. All the ducks all the ducks lining up in a row. Yeah, it was actually. And so- it, it actually encouraged me to look a bit more into David Bowie's life and, 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 um, and his music more as well. So you're obviously very prolific if you're putting four albums out on Spotify in, in a given year and then, you know, got more material coming. You you just have music coming out of you, uh, like... Out of your what, Kev? At, at will. Out of my what? Let me, <laughs> let me finish the sentence, Mannix. At, you just have music coming out of you at will. Uh, uh. Yeah. Uh, maybe it's like a divine thing because I never really, like, that I never really sit down and say, okay, I want to write a record. I, I've never actually done that. Um, the way music comes to me is through my emotional pains or excitement or like a fire. And then I just get a melody and then I just have this like passion and drive to sit at the piano and just jam. And then all of a sudden a song will come out and then I'll have to learn it. Like I'll, I'll have to record it and then learn the song, and then it takes me a couple of hours to actually put it together. So I guess you could say it's prolific. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So are there plans to uh, tour soon or do some live shows? Yeah, we've got a single coming out next year called Disappear in February, and we're planning a national tour, which is Great. exciting. Yeah. Great. Yep. Well, really so cool. I'm working with um, the Manic Label and Pushworth Agency, and they've been really great. What will you go on the road with, Nat? What sort of a band will you go on the road with? Oh, um, I bad reckon pops. a five, a four, pe- a bad band. <laughs> I don't know. I do have banjo in one of my songs, but I don't think touring <laughs> with a banjo would work either. Yeah, I probably, I think a four-piece band would be good. That that would yeah. be the dream, having that and maybe picking up some horns along the way. Yep. Oh, nice. Yeah. That would be fun. Having a bit of horns, like I'm a soul soul singer, really deep down. So yeah. I enjoy traveling with a big band. You know, having yep. that real authentic, true band sound. So how do you juggle all this with being a mum as well? Uh, my son is pretty awesome. I'm pretty blessed in the fact that we have a lot of time together as well. Um, I'm a pretty hard worker, so I tend to do a lot of stuff while he's sleeping, and um, and then I just. Yeah, spend my days as a mum. And like right now, we've just gone shopping and I bought him a little truck because it's his birthday on Saturday. And so he's just been playing with that. We've got ducks around us and a little lake and he's just done a poo. And, you know, that's just how it goes. That sounds like (laughs) Brian's normal day. (laughs) (laughs) Sorry, Brian. So I'm good at multitasking, you know. I'm going to go get get a... what do you call it? A wipe and clean it while I'm talking to you? Beautiful. See, this is what mums do. Absolutely. Fantastic. That's Multi- the reality of life. Exactly right. Multitasking. Well, while you're at a Google, Connie Francis, 
and you'll know what that that means. Hey, th- th- well done on the record. We we both think the single's fantastic. So, disappear is another one of yours, obviously. Yes. Yep. Yes, that one is a co a co work actually. I don't want to give too much away, but it's with a really cool artist from the UK. Ooh, and wow. uh, he's produced it, and uh, yeah, it's a bit electronic, and it's a bit soul as well. Gary uh, Newman? So no, it's not Gary Newman. <laughs> well, we look forward to that. That's it. You said that's out in February, and you're, you're two that's on the back be of that. out in February. Okay. Yeah. Beautiful. Yeah. Hey, Nat, thanks for your time. Really appreciate having a chat. To go and fix the baby up, and uh, will uh, your son up? How old's your son? He's going to be two on Saturday. Beautiful. Uh, thanks, Nat. We really appreciate anyway, your time. Thank you. Love the single. Thanks a lot. Take care. Thanks. Okay. You too. See ya. Bye. See ya. Bye. Natalie Gauchy's Pictures of Mars. Uh, check out all that uh, material she talked about on Spotify. And, of course, you can look forward to the book probably coming out uh, in the middle of the year. We'll let you know what the name of that is. But uh, that's a really good song. She's, uh, it's she's a great good. song. Yeah. Very good. Um, and she produced it herself, which surprised me. Um, I don't know a lot of girls, and I don't – this probably sounds sexist, but generally I, most of the engineers and producers I know are guys and they yep. they do it for the girls. But um, – and you know, hats off to her for because um, I think the production a lot of, is just um, fantastic. A lot of the uh, people I do uh, voiceovers with them for commercials for TV and radio and all sorts of things. A lot yeah. of uh, those are female producers, and they're very, very good. Really? Yeah, wow. really good. No, really terrific, uh, terrific female uh, audio producers. Okay, 
Burkhardt's driving oh. excellence are the people who've uh, been with us from day dot and they're still with us now and they'll be with us into 2022. Happy to say, uh, Mark and the team at, uh, at Murcott's. one three hundred five 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 seven six. Be the driver that you need to be to, uh, you know, not have uh, accidents and uh, things not go wrong for you and to be in a situation where you control what you're doing. Go get a couple of, you know, brush-ups with the Murcots and um, impress your partner by not scaring the shit out of them when you drive. <laughs> yeah. you got to, or, you got something like that where you get in the car and you go, oh, God, I don't want to get in the car with you. There's nothing oh. worse than getting in a car with somebody that goes, oh. they're driving really fast and they're not paying attention. They're looking at you while they're talking, yep. or while they're driving. You know, I can hear you. Just look at the road. Yes, and, um, yes. Yeah, I'm a really awful passenger. But, I'm a shocking uh, like, passenger. Do you do that thing when you're watching television and they're in a car, in a scene in a car, and they're driving along and the bloke, the bloke or woman driving keeps looking at the passenger talking to them going, yeah, yeah, no, no, yeah, 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 yeah you know, what I was saying to you, you get, yeah. I, I get anxiety attacks watching those things. Look at the road. Look at the road. I, I get I get anxiety when it happens in real life. People driving give me anxiety when I'm in well, the car. Well, we can we can alleviate that. We have uh, we have the solution to that problem. Uh, it's as simple as dialing one three hundred five 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 seven six Uh Get in touch with them, and they will uh, they will look after you. They're great people. And if not, Stevie Van Zant will come around to your place and rough you up. Exactly. Put put the body in the trunk, and you don't have to worry about what they're doing when they're driving. In the trunk, and he'll take you down to Murcott personally. <laughs> yeah. Do Murcotts tell you anything about you know how to get rid of a body from your trunk or anything? Is that no? Part funnily of the enough, they, they, that's not part of the advanced driving course that uh, that people do, Brian. Can't ah, understand why. That's no, dis- disappointing. Yeah. Okay. I, do, I got. I'm page- sure that's something they'll look forward. They'll look into. I got to page 78 of the manual, and no, there wasn't anything about getting rid of a body from the trunk of the car, um, which is probably right. a good thing. Hey, uh, okay. thank you, Brian. Been, thank uh, you, been fun. We've got some goodies coming up, the Bull Sisters, John Swan, Jack Jones, and a whole lot more, so we, uh, we look forward to the next life of Brian. Hope you enjoyed this one with Stevie Van Zandt and with Natalie Gauci. Uh, and to you, Mr Mannix, uh, till the next time, look after yourself. I'm going to go to the pub and have a counter lunch because I don't think I've had any vegetables for probably about eight weeks. So I've had fruit, but I don't know. So I'm going to go and have some vegetables today. Beautiful. Which I won't enjoy, but my body will probably thank me for it. They will. Have a good one, Kev. Reject. Stop it. I'm tired. It's a good